When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Oh, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And we are already previewing another preseason game. Boy, it's moving along at just a blazing fast pace here, isn't it? A lot of excitement. Did you know that they signed an offensive lineman today? Uh, and his name was Judd. Zolgad. But, no, not Zolgad. Oh, oh, I forgot. Sorry. I forget his first name. Jacob. Judd. Jacob. Okay. Jacob Judd Zolgad, before Jacob and after. Judd that can be on Jeopardy next week. And once he eventually gets cut, he can co-host this podcast, actually. He's, <laughs> We're setting him up for failure right now. He's qualified. Um, that's kind of been the week it has been here at TCO Performance Center so far. These last couple of days has been, who's that? <laughs> who Who is now replacing... Johnny Stanton. C- Cedric Lang, Johnny Stanton, and uh, Ade Aruna. There was one more I'm missing... Someone who is released on injured reserve. Uh, oh, um, was it Josh Andrews also? He hasn't been released. He's still. He's just not practicing. Oh, right he's now. still here. He was one of the five that got injured. Six that got injured on Saturday. That uh, has still not practiced. But they have. They were. They had five open roster spots. Now they're down to two because they signed um, somebody. R A R E is the guy's last. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you the first name. That's, that's how. Uh, that's how uh, this whole thing's working and. That guy took – he's a, a guard, I believe. He took Cedric Lang's number, and another fullback took Johnny Stanton's number. So just shows you in the NFL the machine keeps on rolling whether you're injured or not. Hey, we need your jersey. That's right. It's a, it took a little while for us to figure out who it was. We were just calling him RB48. But, you know, I don't know that we'll actually have to learn much more information about those players. They've got some more camp bodies essentially in here after all the injuries, but there are some other notable guys dinged up in some way or another. And and we're going to talk about all the things we'll be looking for in the always important third preseason game. Uh, But first how they replace Mackenzie Alexander will be interesting or how long he's out. Stacy Coley, we've seen him working out on the side field. We don't really have any answers there. So as we get into these questions, they will be impacted by a number of different guys who are dinged up. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing where you have this many injuries. I think it was 14, 15 guys, including Elfline, sat out yesterday or were limited. Uh, today that number's it shrunk a little bit, but you still have – 
some pretty significant ones. Everson Griffin hasn't practiced since he apparently cut his leg. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander was out of the boot. Stacey Coley, how are you going to make the team if you're not practicing? Uh, considering this wide receiver depth thing is the same position we're in last year, a whole lot of uncertainty past mm-hmm. uh, Thielen and Diggs. So, yeah, I mean – third preseason game always carries that narrative that this is important. This one actually matters because by and large, the starters play more, but you're still going to be seeing a lot of backup type battles. I mean, Terrence Newman, Mike Hughes, who has not practiced the last two days uh, with Mackenzie Alexander out. How are they going to split up nickel reps, especially if, you know, is it going to be Terrence Newman? I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here and, I think that they're kind of at a point where, you know, it's coming to a head for this team, especially with the state of the offensive line and it's the number one storyline and whether Dalvin Cook's going to play. I mean, there's, you know, there's so much going on in the preseason with this team. and There's so many questions left unanswered. And uh, today at practice, still no Mike Remmers 11 on 11s. Still no Rashad Hill eleven on eleven as well. Was he in for a little bit? I thought he he was sorry he was yeah, he, he got was in a limited. Bit. I think they limited. both were. I'm sorry. Um, both. I think Hill got into some eleven on elevens, but not many. No, and, and Remmers did too. I believe he was okay. he was in just for like a very. There were not like a considerable number right. of reps for either of them. Yeah, they but weren't hey, they like were 100 percent back. Back and little. still no Elf Line, which I think we are. Uh, hovering over the panic button if Pat Elfline is not going to be back actually practicing with this team until they're ready to take the field against the San Francisco 49ers, then it becomes kind of a big concern. But So that's all your kind of injury updates there is that there are a lot of guys banged up, and at this time last year, there wasn't. I mean, it was a really smooth preseason last year where there weren't a ton of injuries that would have had an impact on what was going on. And it seems like this year it's been one guy after the next going down. And I do wonder, I've sort of swung back and forth about those joint practices. I do wonder if those joint practices were really hard on guys last week against the Jaguars. I'm sure they were. It's a different scheme that they were seeing uh, defensively and, you know, the offense here is still got a long ways to go before it, you know, but you can't really tell with such a small sample size. I mean, we saw four series from Kirk Cousins and they were never really able to establish a rhythm. So, I mean, for me, that's the first thing that I'm looking at this game is how does this offense bounce back? And there's a lot that goes into it. That's more than just Kirk Cousins. I mean, John Filippo was pretty hard on himself uh, saying that there were several plays. He wished he could get back. He kept going back to the naked bootleg where, um, I mean, he can blame himself for calling that, but you also have a right tackle who has not played right tackle. It was Aviant Collins. Um, maybe that's the reason he's, it's, he just got completely destroyed by Yannick. I think it's in Gakwe. I don't know how to say it. Um, that'll work. That's fine. Um, but, you know, there's – how is this equation going to work between, you know, John Filippo striving for perfection and all these things, and he said that he just felt like he didn't call a great game, which, you know, this is the time to do that, though. You shouldn't be that hard on yourself, essentially, when it's the preseason because it's your time to work out kinks, but you need to see more of Kirk Cousins. You need to see Dalvin Cook. You need to see Pat Alphon. You need to see what you're going to be dealing with in season – 
now, so it's not a brand new thing during week one. So where we stand right now, as far as the first team offense, it would be stunning if Pat Elfline somehow was playing by the time everyone is watching this game on Friday night. I don't think that's going to happen. So maybe, best case scenario, he gets into the fourth preseason game, and that's not really what you want either. And then, worst case scenario, he's not even playing week one. I mean, this was a thing where we thought, and we're told he'll be back by the beginning of training camp. And now we have just waited and waited and waited and he's not here yet. And, you know, Mike Zimmer kind of left the door open for a return by him this week, but we haven't seen him yet. And that's something that now we have to watch even closer as far as this preseason game is the first team. How does the offense respond to not playing so well, like you mentioned, and then what does the offensive line look like? It just what's even the combination that is going to be rolled out there. Do we see Remmers? Is he at guard or is he at tackle? Is there is that door still possibly open? Uh, is Rashad Hill back? It, it's going to be very interesting to see where we stand with even just the health of this offensive line. And I think the one thing you can pull away from last year is that the starting offensive line week one never played together during the preseason. Right. There's still time. There's about two weeks left before roster cuts. They could very well... The combination that it is right now of Reef, Compton, who's pretty much locked in for the last few weeks at left guard, Andrews, um, Isadora, and then the whole combination over there at right tackle because of injuries, I mean, that combination's probably going to change. Which, you know, I think the thing with Pat Elfline, though, that is concerning right now is, okay, it was cute early on in camp where it's like, yeah, like he and Kurt can work together, you know, uh, reps on air, and, you know, he's working on the side, on the snaps. Mental reps. Mental reps, all that stuff. What's going to happen when you've got DeForest Buckner breathing down your neck, when you have Eric Armstead and you have Solomon Thomas who are ready to eat your face off, and you haven't, you know, that's your first action? I don't think they want to be in a situation like that. It became this thing of, oh, well, Pat's such a cerebral player. He doesn't have to be in there. The preseason, you know, he and Kirk can work on their own about it. You need to get him some live reps because the the line has to learn what his cadence is as, as a center. He has to learn what it's like being under center when, when Kirk is, you know, right behind him calling out, you know, either calling an audible or whatever the call is. I mean, you have, it's chemistry that doesn't just happen overnight, just like we talked about with Kirk and his receivers. I think it's the same thing with Pat Elfline and why he needs to be back at some point during the preseason, or they're going to be in trouble. So what else do we want to see from the offense as they probably play the entire first half? I I think that it's very hard for me to get into any of this matters. Uh, Mike Zimmer said today, like, oh, people say it doesn't matter and the games are bad, but it matters to a lot of young players fighting for jobs. That I agree with. Uh, But as far as what it means if the offense is good or bad or whatever – you know, you can't say Super Bowl after Denver. You can't say six and ten after Jacksonville. So with this game, I feel like whatever happens doesn't really make much of a difference to me. But if you were designing what you want to see, is just a little more tempo from them, a little more just ball moving the moving the ball, executing, kind of making the best of bad blocking when it comes. Because guess what? In the regular season, bad blocking will happen. No matter who you have the offensive line, it's gonna yeah. be there is gonna be pressure, there will be collapsing pockets. And I didn't think Cousins did a very good job with the collapsing pockets. 
I don't know about where DiFilippo is saying he didn't call a good game or whatever else. There were certain plays that, and I think it's him striving for perfection and wanting to, you know, show that the offense that he's installing is going to work. But there's, I don't know if we're going to see the full form of this offense until several weeks in. I mean, it's not far-fetched to think that, yes, it's going to look different. They're going to take shots down the field. They're going to be able to do more come week one. They're still holding things back. I don't. I still think it's going to be in a pretty vanilla state, maybe even two or three weeks into the season. So that's the thing of, like, how do we even figure out from just watching if it was a good performance or not, other than just did they score? But it, things might go okay and they don't put up big points, but it's still what they wanted to see. So that's why, to me, it's hard to judge first team almost all the time, but it should look a little bit better than it looked against Jacksonville, which was which pretty putrid. Yeah, they need to, the on and off the field stuff, I mean, they, you know, get the interception, and then Murray fumbles inside, you know, just outside the red zone, like on that next play. That's stuff that can't happen. You can't establish momentum and tell how good your offense is if you can't string plays together. That's football 101. Um, to, to a degree, I think there is something that you can take with the first team offense, uh, offensive line. I mean, they, they ran the ball. Well, that is the one takeaway that we had. They ran, I think 120 yards on that defense. That's good to see. The combinations are going to change. The blocking schemes are going to change, uh, or sorry, the, the execution of the blocking schemes. You said they're going to fall apart at some point during the season. That's just the nature of, you know, playing 16 straight games. How are they doing now, though? And to me, that brings up a, somebody that I'm going to be watching pretty closely is we're talking about, okay, well, Aviant Collins did this. He played three different positions. He, he struggled at, at right tackle. Uh, Brian O'Neill did this, that, the other thing. What's going on with Riley Reef? Am I the? I'm not, I know I'm not the only one who's thinking, okay, he hasn't looked great. The first, I mean, granted, he played one series in Denver, but he didn't look great against Den- against Jacksonville, and I wonder, should we be concerned about that? Yes, I think you should. Uh, not that veteran players playing poorly in preseason is something to freak out over. Um, Anthony Barr didn't really try to tackle someone the other day, and I got a tweet about it. You know, just about like, hey, that really irritates me that he didn't try to tackle the guy. And my response is more or less like, well, he shouldn't even be playing. Like, if it were up to me, I wouldn't even play these guys because I'd be so terrified of getting them hurt. And even if they were a little behind week one, we've got 16 weeks to go. So I'm not going to get upset if Anthony Barr doesn't give 110. Maybe there is some element of that with Riley Reef, but from the middle of last season until the end of the year and into the playoffs, Reef was not really great at left tackle, and part of that was him being dinged up. I believe he had an ankle injury, and there also might have been a back, back issue. Yeah. yeah. So with those types of things, Reef is a really tough guy, and he plays his heart out, but that sometimes comes along with being dinged up. And if he's slowed down, and that's the one piece you were really hoping would at least be average on this offensive line – I think it's worth talking about that he hasn't played he hasn't looked very good and the other day against Jacksonville it was very bad. I, that's it just kind of goes on the top of the pile of like here's all these reasons to still be worried about the offensive line and I know I said to you right before we started recording okay let's uh, just try not to obsess it's about the offensive line. Trying to obsess about the offensive line, but it's hard not to when we, there's so much up in the air including what you were saying about elf line not being back in that chemistry and then we also have the starting left tackle you paid a ton of money to 
struggling pretty much from week eight on. And now we're not really sure how he's going to look when they get out there. It's also that he regressed last year from the form he was at in Detroit. You could probably say that last season had some disappointment from Riley Reef himself just because he wasn't at the level of play as he was in uh, Detroit. I mean, I know he switched positions, right? Like he was... Um, he was a right tackle in Detroit. Is that right? He, he was start, left, left in 2015. Switched to right switched in 2016. To right, yes, and then, and then back, back to left. So yes. maybe that had something to do with it, but a lot's being put on him. He's the only healthy guy out there, which is why they were rotating in Aviant Collins the last few weeks at left tackle in, in some first-team reps just to make sure you preserve Reef because that's – Hell, they've got four starters down right now. You don't need to literally be missing every piece of your offensive line. But I do think that there is some level of concern there because, that you know, we need to see how this thing's going to come together because it's not going to be perfect. You're, you know, that's what John Filippo said today. None of this is ideal, that you're probably going to have a different starting five come week one than you have tried out at any point during this preseason. It'll be good if they can get Mike Remmers back, if he can do a little bit more in team on Wednesday and then maybe be ready to go Friday for the game. I don't know if that's the case. But I just the biggest the biggest part of this equation here is what you do with Remmers when he comes back because if you're having issues at your, your bookends in pass protection, do you want to move Remmers back outside because he might be able to remedy that and then put maybe a guy like Aviant Collins? I know he's working to understand the speed of the game inside. It's something that's kind of foreign to him. But is that a better spot for him? Like, you're still trying to figure out, okay, who's your swing tackle? Well, let's try to find out the five guys first and and what the best fit is. That's an equation that takes a long time to solve. So is O'Neal completely out of the conversation for you to win the job over the next two games? No, I, I don't think so. It's just it was kind of telling, though, that we saw some really good reps from him against Calais Campbell um, and Malik Jackson last week. I mean, there weren't there weren't like every single rep that he was winning, but he did really well in several. Um, and that's not just like one, two or three. It was a handful over the course of two days. I watched him specifically, but it's pretty telling against that type of defensive line, which is more like the, the defensive lines that they're going to face uh, with the 49ers and with. You know, I guess you could probably even throw Green Bay in there, but particularly with the Rams and with the Eagles, I don't know if that's who you want as your starting right tackle. And clearly they felt that Collins uh, was a better fit there. So right now he's still, if I had to pick, it'd probably be that O'Neal, since he's not ready, would be my swing tackle. Yeah, that's probably it. And if we're talking about who starts at right tackle, that to me is still up in the air because I, I want to see more of Rashad Hill in these games. I do too. I mean, we haven't seen much of him in practice. We haven't seen much of him in the games. And it really seems like he's sort of the uncontested right tackle. But if he comes back in the game against Seattle and he doesn't play well, I think it's still up in the air whether O'Neal or Mike Remmers could end up at right tackle. And that's a question you didn't want to have at this point. I think they wanted Rashad Hill to take another step forward and feel really good about him now. But it's hard to when he's been out with the illness and then the injury. Um, so in order to not continue to go on about this, yes. because once Will Hernandez's name gets involved, oh, there's God. no stopping They're, that train. We're going to be on for 45 minutes past that. <laughs> right. So what do you have next on your list of things to watch when they play Seattle on Friday? Dalvin Cook's going to play. Let's just put that out there. And that has not been said by Mike Zimmer. It has not been said by John Filippo. It's been alluded to at every point. They need to see Dalvin Cook. And I don't care the argument of, oh, put him in bubble wrap. He has nothing left to prove for the knee. 
don't you want to try to see what his what he how he can react behind this makeshift offensive line at least for a quarter? I, I think it's important, and I think that he has to play this week. I mean, that's something where I'm getting, and it's not necessarily it wouldn't be on Dalvin if he doesn't play because. I think that they, as much as Mike Zimmer would say, we're not going to play scared football, I think there is some concern about the offensive line and what that could do for Dalvin. And that, hell, you saw six guys get injured last week. And it's not taking anything. I mean, there was only one that was a starter in Mackenzie Alexander. The other five guys were fighting for roster spots. You don't want to see anything like that replicated in this third preseason game when it's still the preseason but I do think that you want to try to find the balance between getting him some work here, so you don't then you can just put him on the shelf, let him play, let him play the first quarter, put him on the shelf, and then preserve him for week one. Right, I'm I'm sure that he wants to take some hits, that he wants to get out there and because he hasn't been tackled. Yeah, tested in game speed, get tackled a few times, and at least feel like he's confident. I mean, if it's back to 100, percent then you might as well at least let him get that under his feet or whatever you want to put under his belt to have a couple of hits in there, a couple of cuts, sharp cuts and things like that. So he feels like, okay, I'm back by the time you go out for week one. I guess there would be an argument to say, look, with Latavius Murray and these other running backs, whoever makes it, Mike Boone or Rock Thomas, obviously Rock Thomas, um, then it's maybe you don't need to rush him. Maybe it's one of those things where in week one, he carries the ball 10 times. Yeah. And then by week three, he's carrying it 20 and getting passes too. I don't really know what their strategy is because they don't crack the door open to take a look inside and see, are they going to play him or are they not going to play him? Because for whatever reason, Mike Zimmer thinks there's a competitive advantage to the Seattle Seahawks, not knowing if Delvin Cook is going to play in a preseason game. And I'll never. I mean, it could affect it. them when they play again <laughs> on Monday Night Football in December. Just saying. I yeah, four I, months I, away. I got that tweet too, and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I know that John Gruden was upset about that, um, about playing the same team in the preseason. It's like it's so much different. What can you really learn? But um, as far as getting Cook back out there, I could see both sides of it. I think that they will decide to play him. I do too. What's next? Terrence Newman, because of Mackenzie Alexander and because of Mike Hughes. The de facto nickel right now looked really slow out there in practice the last two days. And even in the game, it took him kind of a while. I mean, this is a guy who was your nickel corner last year, won the job at 39 years old, did not look like that version of Terrence Newman. Granted, he was thrown out there uh, when when Alexander left the game. There's always a, an adjustment factor, but kind of concerning. And given that Hughes has not practiced the last two days, I wonder how long the injury undisclosed injury is going to keep him out for so yeah is it undisclosed i'm really surprised that this team is not disclosing they don't have to they don't talk about injuries remember until the uh wednesday before week one they have to put out an injury they could have labeled training camp we don't talk about injuries for this year like that's under where it says lando lakes training camp in parentheses (laughs) underneath like great 80s songs that always had something in parentheses um yeah, that's how this is. It's like Lando Lakes training camp, parentheses, we don't talk about injuries. That's how it's felt. because Brought been... to you by Verizon Wireless. <laughs> yes. Uh, and feel free, Lando Lakes or Verizon, to sponsor this podcast here on uh, the Purple Podcast. Anyway, um, 
With Newman, the one thing I would say, even though you should be concerned that a 40-year-old might have to play here at nickel if Mackenzie Alexander isn't back by week one, is just that he looked really bad in training camp last year, too. He, in his old age and wisdom, specifically designs his whole workouts and his whole season to like get to peak physical condition at the beginning of the year as opposed to at the beginning of training camp like a lot of guys do just because he's trying to avoid injuries, and that could be a part of it. That's the only sort of explanation I have for how slow he's looked. But, I mean, he's also 40, and what you brought him back for was to be your right-hand man inside the room helping you out with Mike Hughes and Mackenzie Alexander and still the other guys too, Waynes and Rhodes. He's a mentor to them. It wasn't to play 60% of snaps. Otherwise, you wouldn't have drafted Mike Hughes. That's has to be at least part of it was that you want Hughes in a rotation. Um, so if Hughes is also dinged up, and again, we don't know that injury, he might be back. Um, but if they don't feel like he's ready to take on that nickel spot, which is a very cerebral position, as you have written about, man, now you're in a little bit of shaky ground here, hoping that Terrence Newman still has it. And on top of that, I mean, the cornerback depth that this team has is unlike any other team really in the NFL. I mean, they put a priority over getting an offensive lineman to get Mike Hughes, um, do they? Yes. Have we brought that up? I think a few times. Okay. Um, what's going on with Holton Hill? I'm throwing, throwing out takes right now, but this is something, too, where we're talking about cornerback depth. What What's going on with him the first two preseason games, and where is he going to fit? I asked George Edwards about this earlier. The answer I got was not really all that insightful. Um, That's stunning. <laughs> I just think, I mean... Yeah, the game's different now, but you're a six th- six foot three, sub two hundred pound corner. You have to you. They got to find a role for you here, and you got to play better than you did um, on special teams and with the third team defense. He has so, not stood out to me whatsoever in this defense. Have a little story time here. I'll tell you the story of Derrick Rogers. <laughs> Derrick Rogers is a real person. Okay, and he went to some sort of college and had an issue with weed and off the field issues Imagine right that. i know right you've, you've heard this baby story similar before but this one's about derrick rogers which is i think it was d-a apostrophe r-i-k and it was like is it derrick is it derrick <laughs> we got that worked out and uh so all of camp beginning of camp it was man this guy's a freak though like he's this great wide receiver and if he can ever get it together and whatever he was an undrafted guy the buffalo bills picked him up they paid a lot for him and he was the big conversation and then he just fell flat like he just really wasn't that good of a player because if you are the weed guy and you are a great player you're janoris jenkins second round pick you're randy moss 21st overall pick So with Holton Hill, you're a mediocre middling prospect who had some off-field issues. I would have taken a chance on him a million times out of a million, but it hasn't worked. And if he doesn't make the team, that won't shock me at all. And it'll be just one to remind ourselves always not to go nuts over undrafted free agents. Yeah, well said. I mean, there's... It's it's just it's a weird state in camp right now that Marcus Sherrills is making a better case. Uh, we obviously know he's going to be the punt return the the returner. Dare I say Marcus like, Sherrills has been good on defense? Yes, that's what I want to say though. He's been playing with. Remember, he started out what was it third team unit in in 
mini camp where yeah. like that inner he picked off Brandon Zilstra or no Brandon Zilstra smoked him. Sorry, I got my facts wrong. He picked um, off Sloter. I picked think. off Sloter, yeah. but like Zilstra had that catch over him in the corner of the end zone of the uh, two minute drill. So that was uh, that was my lasting impression of Marcus Sherrill's on defense. But hell, he's looked pretty darn good. Yes. All things considered. Um, I don't think you ever want to get to that point, and I don't think they would get to that point where he has a sizable role there in defense. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he, he's outplaying Holton Hill is, I mean, granted, playing different positions, but still. And Mike Zimmer praised him on his ability to play inside or outside as a emergency fill-in, but, I mean, that's all Holton Hill would be at this point, too. So I think with Hill, it will come down to whether he's going to be on the practice squad or not, or if they pick someone like Horace Richardson ahead of him, who's been pretty good in camp, or at least serviceable and doesn't look like a guy who's lost. Uh, Hill hasn't done uh, much that would make me say, boy, you got to have this guy on your roster. Kick Sheryls out of town. It's pretty clear that punt returning is darn hard, and Sheryls is good at it. And so I, I think he's on the team, and I apologize for ever suggesting he wouldn't be. Because I think when when he makes that team again, we're all going to go, yeah, sorry, Marcus. Sorry we said that. Sorry we said that. There's always some young buck who we say is going to make the team over you. But this time, it is probably not going to be Holton Hill. Has he been doubted at all of his nine years yeah. in the league? I mean, he was an undrafted guy, right? And I think the Minnesota thing, too, plays into it. It does. People, and- people want to see the local kid. He's not a kid, though. He's like been in the league for nine years oh, can't call him sure. a kid anymore yeah like, but they call terrence newman kid they love when it's a minnesota guy who's trying to overcome all odds um if anyone has written about adam thielen maybe <laughs> you, you would know his story uh, i think with with cheryl's though it always is that conversation because the kick returner is kind of the like well if anybody else can do it then you can save that roster spot because it's really the only thing he does well and that's why it's so interesting to me that he's looked good on defense this whole camp when that was never really his calling card, it was always punt returning. And I wonder if he put extra work into it, knowing that this could even be the year he's out. But I think at this moment, he's still in. So what is next on your list? Bottom tier wide receivers, not named Laquan Treadwell and Kendall Wright, because truth be told, I don't know what to think about them. I did not think at this point, August 21st. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's play it out. All right, who do we got? I'm we got, struggling. We got um, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, Laquan Treadwell. They're on the team. They're on the team. And the only reason Treadwell's on the team right now is because of his contract and because he's a, you know going into year three. I know that there's been some you know thought of, oh, well, if they need to trade for a guard, maybe, maybe that's why they're not showing a lot with him because there's still that intrigue. I don't know if that's it. But he's on the team. Four through six. Did I ever think that on August 21st I'd be seeing Chad Beebe is making probably the best case to, of – Anybody, I mean, any of the bottom tier guys. And that's something that John Filippo talked about it today with saying he's one of the most, he put him up against anybody as most improved. I mean, he's a, he's a short, shifty receiver who is working on, you know, his leverage is better. He's able to get up against defenders. He's, he, you're going to have to, it's like, you know, win or die trying for this guy. He's giving you every reason to consider him for one of those spots. The last, you know, what he did in Denver, flipping over people against Jacksonville. I mean, he's looked better, good of a pretty mediocre bunch. So here's, I guess, then how it might play out. If he makes the roster, then it would play out something like your first three, Diggs, Thielen, Treadwell. 
Now, Stacy Coley is hurt like so many others, but let's say he gets it back together. Let's say he's good to go. He's on the team, right? Oh, yeah. If he gets it back together, if he can play, he'll be on the team. They so, like him. He does. He can contribute on punt return if needed, but he's got to play. I mean, yeah. he's somebody who, since he didn't do anything last year, has to play. So he's number four, then, if you cut Kendall Wright. Otherwise, Kendall Wright is number four. Then he, uh, Coley would be number five, and the number six spot basically comes down to Chad Beebe and Brad Z- uh, Brian Zilstra, Zach Zilstra, Teddy, Chad, <laughs> Bra- Bob, Brandon, Brandon. Man, yeah, we're in too many names. We're in peak uh, season. Brandon Zilstra. What did I call him initially? Brian. Brian whatever. Called, that's actually his brother's name. Play a game first, and then I'll get it right. Um, yes. Get in a game. Brand- he hasn't played. And and that's why this third game is so huge for Brandon Zilstra because I, it, just the way I see this shaping up, Tavares King has done nothing to stay on this team. So you don't owe him anything. You can just move on. The ball he dropped on the crossing route that not, hit his hands, uh, that probably should have been cut right then and there. That was that was the moment where I bid adieu to the Tavares King era. And then he's been dinged up too and has yeah. barely been out there. I don't there. think he's, he didn't practice today. So this game is, and you know, the fourth preseason to some extent too, but like you'll get an opportunity to go in there and play with Trevor Simeon and maybe even Kirk Cousins if you're playing the whole first half as wide receivers. We think that Caleb Jones will make the team because he's suspended. So it's the Michael Floyd thing. You can keep an extra guy and then we'll see later. But I think that's what it is. I think it's Chad Beebe versus Brandon Zilstra and uh, who the better special teamer is. If Zilstra shows he can really catch the ball, that might not be everything because he's got a show on special teams. And so far, I think Beebe's been very good in that area. And then to go along with making a couple catches, that's kind of how I see it shaping up. I don't see Corey Robertson as part of this, Jake Winicky, right? Maybe practice squad, maybe, depending upon which 10 they want to keep. Yeah, you could. I could. I would actually. I would think you'd have more, more linemen on the practice squad just for security purposes. Which brings me to our last point. Okay. Um, the defensive line rotation. We talk about this ad ad nauseum, but it was cool to see what Afadio Denebo was able to do. Mm-hmm. shifting outside because they were down to two reserve linemen between Stephen Weatherly and Jonathan Wynn. Um, this is a guy who, you know, they, they had him working under Sheldon Richardson a little bit in the preseason, and then lo and behold, he shifts out to, I think he kicks out to left defensive end and picks up two sacks against Jacksonville. That's good because, as Mike Zimmer said with Jaleel Johnson the other day and then reiterated it yesterday, when you're looking at who you're going to keep – and who you're going to dress on game day outside of your four, you might only be dressing three, and you need somebody like that to kick out uh, so you can have six receivers, so you can have other other things, other you know, another lineman for on the offensive side uh, active. So that, to me, is important. Does he make the roster, though? He's still on the bubble for me. Oh, if certainly, yeah. I mean, two more games like that, and maybe he can steal a spot if he really shows. But it's like when you take a look at the defensive line, are you keeping nine? Are you keeping ten? Yeah, we talked about it. I thought that Jalen Holmes, we kind of went, ooh, wow, he's in in the fourth quarter that first game. But he got pressures on the quarterback, and then I thought he was okay against Jacksonville. He he didn't, like, set my hair on fire, but But he was okay. I don't think they're going to cut him. Right, they're not going to cut a fourth-round pick. Right. So if they're not going to cut a fourth-round pick, we know Jaleel is in. Yeah, so the the four – 
left to right whenever Everson wants to whenever he gets back from the the cut um Everson Griffin Sheldon Richardson I'm so tired. I'm sorry. Linval, uh, Linval Joseph, yes. the nose tackle, and then uh, uh, Brad Hunter, <laughs> Daniel Hunter. So let's go. Are we? Can, what do we do here in five? Are we considering Brian Robeson still? Uh, yeah. Yep. B. Rob okay. should be on the team. I mean, he's looked fine to me. Yeah, you know he's looked great. I mean, he's had to play for Everson Griffin for the last, you know, quite quite some time, and. Going from there, Jaleel Johnson, six. Yep, he's definitely in. We already said that we're putting Jalen Holmes in there. He's seven. So Bauer and Weatherly seem like Bauer they're and both Weatherly in. Bauer and Weatherly, and it's nine. Bauer would be the one that he played really well in that first game, didn't play in the second game. He's not a great special teamer, I don't think. I can't say that with pure certainty. Like he had, I might he had, prefer, he had a good tackle in the first uh, on a big stop in the first preseason game on a punt return, I think on that's a kickoff what, return. But I think that's what kept him out of games last year from being active. Was that he's not? He might have improved. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say in practice of preseason games if someone is good at special teams or not. Um, not if you break down the film. <laughs> I, I don't. Kidding. I don't even know the rules on kickoffs anymore. Maybe you should read my story that I wrote last week. Oh, about kickoff did, and kickoff I did. Return. Yeah. Um, kidding. I'm not sure. trying to plug myself here. So I, I'm up to nine <laughs> defensive linemen. Do we keep and, ten if we're mm. forming? If you and I are forming the roster right now, I don't see a benefit. I don't see any reason not to. If you can work the numbers, where maybe you're not keeping another cornerback, or maybe it's the receivers. Yeah, what so, do you think? So if they keep nine, who's the guy who gets axed? That's Odenabo. Then, that would right? be Odenabo. Yeah. I, I think Odenabo has to beat somebody out then, and it's probably Bauer. Um, with Weatherly, he's valuable on the special teams. So if Odenabo is kicked back out to the edge in this next game and we see him get another sack and he's like – creating havoc and powerful. He was good at Northwestern in terms of creating pressures and things like that. Then it could be Bauer on the block, but I don't know if there is a great case for keeping 10 defensive linemen. I don't either. It would be, it'd be the easy thing to do because he looked really good, but those are one of those situations where it's like, I need to see that the third preseason game and the fourth preseason game to see that it's a consistent thing because, you know, Guys like David Perry and, and, you know, I mentioned Jonathan Wynn. I mean, some of those guys could be practice squad guys or, you know, some of the young the young pass rushers that they do have down the, down the road. Uh, stash them on the practice squad. You know, that that's a probably your best place, to, best place to be. And, you know, then you have depth if you need to call upon it. Um, so last week with that game, there was all sorts of debauchery chaos <laughs> that's a great way to describe it um what goofy thing happens in this next game what crazy bizarre wackadoodle <laughs> preseason happened i mean we had fumbles we had a, uh, you know just injuries the carts on the field five different times it was ridiculous the helmet the oh, cj ham yeah flag was thrown on aj bouye because he basically braced himself you have a routine sack getting flagged for roughing the passer i mean yes that game became quite famous online it did for that um and for the subsequent follow-up mike zimmer saying that that rule the the helmet rule but i think also all these rules are gonna cost people jobs so I yeah, mean, that was a little dramatic, a little dramatic. I think. I think it was, but I think he's, I don't necessarily think jobs, but he is right to say it's probably going to cost games. Oh, and we had a doink 
the field goal. Doink, yeah, yeah. The right crossbar or no, right, right, uh, right post. It was uh, one of them. Yeah, the post. Um, well, so weird things going to happen in this here, game. Here's my thought: somebody is running for a touchdown, and someone else, a defender, knocks the ball out of their hands, sending it out of the end zone and making it a touchback. That's very obscure. It does happen. You know why? Don Beebe. Don Beebe in the Super Bowl. Leon Lett. That's what happened. Chad Beebe's here. It's, it's just it's, it's fate. Happen. It's fate. That's I, my pick. I think we're going to have a few more of the 12 men on the field uh, issues that nearly popped up where guys are running off. So, I mean, just timing. That's not really that obscure. I just can't. I'm not going to think of anything else. There was See, too much I thought, chaos. I thought you were talking about like a streaker. And I was just like, oh, that's a great pick. Has, it, has there been somebody no. who's done that at U.S. Bank Stadium no, yet? Well, time. we're not giving you any ideas if that's what you're getting at. No, but. It's uh, way too high up in the press box to get down there to streak. But, uh, we, I mean, we had the issue where the person hung from the banner, but that wasn't streaking. Uh, or even just weird. crazy person on the field. I say your prediction should be, this is like ordering food for you at a restaurant. <laughs> I'm ordering your prediction. And your prediction is streaker on the field. I don't want that one. <laughs> that one's awful. Then pick one better than 12 men on the field. What if it like decides the game just like it did? <laughs> decides the game. Well. I don't remember any game in Vikings history where 12 men on the field decided anything. Hmm? Huh? Hmm? Or kickers. Or kickers. Um, I don't want to put this out there, but I mean, like, what if, what if Carlson goes out and has a bad game? Is that, is that your call? I, I don't want to put it out there, but, I mean, is, do you think it's likely? I mean, they, they really do like him. But Mike Zimmer also kind of made that statement, well, you, we went with this one. Kind yeah, of like, right. well, but it, it, he made it sound like it's like best of a worst of a bad bunch. But it was a – he and Forbath had a really good competition, and I do think that his upside as a kicker and how young he is uh, is a good thing. Dealing with that pressure is going to be – you know, interesting now because now that he doesn't have Kai breathing down his neck, how does he handle that? Yeah, I don't. We, we, I don't think anything bad will happen with it. I don't know. I don't have anything bad to say. Yours, yours works because it's just calamity. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. When it's a preseason game, I'm looking for calamity. I'm looking for. Carl- I'm not. I'm looking for a quick game so I can get out of there. I'm looking for a long snapper to go the wrong way, and then there's a blocked kick of some kind. Um, we didn't even really get into the Kai Forbath thing because it was so inevitable mm-hmm. that this was going to happen. That I mean, Forbath kicked pretty well in the preseason before, or in the uh, the training camp, so he kind of gave himself a shot. And Mike Prefer talked about that him hanging around longer than they expected, which really tells you, yeah, on draft night it was over. And so, yep, now it's over. As far as whether it's a good move or not, I have no idea. Do you know? Like, I don't know. Let me just uh, – Zimmer talked about his crystal ball. Uh, sure. <laughs> we like, haven't had that comeback right? recently. We should bring that up. Yeah, like, hey, how's your crystal ball doing? Because everything is about, like, odds. So if you're saying, hey, what's uh, the better move to increase our odds to win? Is it draft a guard named Will Hernandez or is it to draft your fifth-string corner? Probably the starting guard, right? So that's how we make all decisions. Is it better for this kicker or this kicker? I have no idea. If you tried to pick, if you like, if you did every kicking competition ever, and you tried to pick which one was right, versus you put their name, like their names, on two food bowls and had a cat go eat whichever one, the cat does just as well as you. There's like no way to pick whether a guy who like Kai Forbath was 
was pretty good but not real great or a prospect coming out of college who's never done it before, I don't see any way to predict whether it's going to work out or not. I just think that there was the history of the extra points being missed by Forbath that it was like, okay, your window here is shut. Mm -hmm. Like, we saw what you could do. We think that's probably going to happen again. You're still a really good kicker. Like, now kind of, you know, the reason it lasted as long as it did – Good competition. Now Kai can go off and get signed or claimed by someone else. How about this? Kyle, Kyle Sloter. Kyle Sloter has a... Uh... Thinks he has a timeout at the end of the game, and he doesn't. So he starts Chris Webbering. He's like calling timeout. <laughs> they don't have one. And they're like, Kyle, you don't have any timeouts. <laughs> and he's just like, what? And then they run out of time and the game's over. Sure. That's my prediction. For me. Yeah, if you're not going to make any good ones, 12 on the field. Are you serious? I said multiple 12 men uh, on the field. Maybe they'll calls. have a holding. <laughs> <laughs> I could. I would lose my mind if I had to count how many that I would predict for that. What's your prediction? Uh, maybe one or two offsides. <laughs> Leave me alone. Uh, okay, well, we'll work on that. It's still camp. We're going to have to give better predictions when it comes to regular season. So, anyway. Thank I'm not going to show that my hand and my playbook. Oh, that's I'm what essentially it is. That's what it is. the Vikings offense right now. I was listening to talk radio the other day and heard somebody call in just complaining about, why are they not taking shots down the field? Well, I don't know because they don't want to – there's stuff that they're going to use in a game. So, I'm not going to show my hand yet. Yeah, that's a big issue is shots down the field. Yeah, I mean, they just, they want to see a 60-yard touchdown to Stephon Diggs oh, in man. week two. I wish that I grew up in the era where passing was just launching it down the field, where, like, Joe Namath averaged 17 yards of completion and <laughs> just, like, heaving this heavy football in slow motion is, all, like, in my mind, of just launching it. 40, 50 yards down the field, every pass play. And everything else was just like eye formation handoffs. I'm just glad that I grew up in the boots era. Yeah, lots of bootlegs these these days. Got to have a quarterback who's terrific in the boots. So anyway, well, this has been a podcast that we did. So we'll catch you all next time. We need a break. We'll see you. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.